Well, good morning again. <clears throat> if you uh, have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. <clears throat> if you're visiting um, or your memory is not that great, we've been going through the book of Genesis and it's been about a month that we've been off. So we're starting afresh and coming back to chapter 22. I contemplated preaching chapters 1 to 21, um, but I'm not gonna, so. If you would turn to 22 and go to verse 13, Genesis 22, 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Father, would you bless the preaching of your word this morning? And Lord, as we will be coming at the end of this service to your table, Father, I pray that even now you'd be, God, working in our hearts, bringing to our memories the truth, the beauty, the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, Father, the celebration of coming to the Lord's table this morning would be sweet. But perhaps, Lord, also a time that you lay something on our heart that we have to lay before your feet. And so I just pray, Father, that you would be clearly speaking to your people today. Amen. If I asked you what the most important thing to you on this planet is, second to your salvation, the most important thing that you have, most important person, most important relationship, most important possession, whatever whatever it is that comes to your mind, I'm being vague on purpose, but whatever comes to your mind when I even speak of that, and then say, give it up. In the setting of of church, gathering here and meeting and hearing that, that that doesn't strike us as strongly per se because that concept is throughout the scriptures of laying everything at the feet of the Lord as our Savior, as our King, as our God. But beloved, at times when the Lord takes something away from us, it leaves great confusion. I don't know what you're doing here. I don't even know why you do this. 
And the Lord's not offended. He knows that in our weakness, we're struggling to just put the pieces together to say, God, why would you take them away? Why would you strip me of this? I don't, I don't get it, Lord. Well, that may happen when you buy a new pickup and happen to wreck it or something of that nature. But coming back to Genesis 22, this one is doubly amazing to me because not only is Isaac precious to Abraham, but Isaac has all these promises attached to him from God. Promises that there's no way these promises will continue and will come to fruition if he's dead. So Abraham's doubly scratching his head. We're told in the book of Hebrews that what Abraham thought was that the Lord would resurrect his son. Why would he think that? Because if God's made these promises and God never lies and God always comes through with his promises, then I know these promises will come to fruition in reference to my son. At the same time, God's called me to offer my son up to him, to give him as a sacrifice. So what do I do? You should know the answer to this. You obey. One foot in front of the other foot, in front of the other foot. You go, well, yeah, but, but hold on a second. You don't, you don't know the future. How can you trust God if you don't know what he's going to do? That's what I want to talk about this morning. And so I read 22, 1 to 12, just to give a little bit of the, the backdrop of what has taken place here. Abraham has walked in obedience. Abraham has said, yes, Lord, I will do what you have asked of me. I will bring my child. I will offer my child before you. I don't know how I can do this. It's supernatural faith from you put in me, but I will. I will come and I will offer my son before you. And remember, he leaves the two young men. He and Isaac go up to the hill. Isaac says, Dad, we've got all the materials except for we don't have the sacrifice. Where is it? And Abraham's response, God will provide his sacrifice. God will give what's needed for this in order for, in order for this to take place. Come with me. And in trust, Isaac comes following his father. Isaac is then bound. Isaac is laid down. And we're told that Abraham is going, it's as good as if he took the life of his son. His willingness reached the point that you could say, this man gave his son. You, you, it's not that he simply thought about giving him. It's not that he struggled with giving him, which I'm sure there was some of that. But you could say he gave his son. In his mind and heart, his son was given to God in that second. Done. And in that second, the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been certain events in my life where there has been a voice or voices where somebody has said something, and even to this second right now, I can hear their voice. I imagine for the rest of Abraham's life, he recalls what it sounded like when that angel said, stop. My guess is one of the sweetest sounds he'd ever heard in his life. Because up to this point, silence. Obedience, but silence. As he moved forward to take the life of his boy. Well, now let's look at the second half of this this storyline. Verse 13. 
I'll read verse 12 just to kind of bring us up there. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know. Now, I'm convinced God already knew because he's omniscient and is fully aware. But at the same time, what's being communicated is now it's been made evident and clear just where you're at in your faith, Abraham. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. He's touched on that so many times, your only son. To which we all say, what about Ishmael? Well, apparently, Ishmael is not the child of the promise. Ishmael is not from his wife, Sarah. And the Lord continually reminds him, that was a mistake, what you did. So this is your son, your only son. You did not withhold him from me. That statement there is simply amazing as a dad to think about coming before the Lord and saying, yes, Father, you, you can have my children. You can have them. I don't know why you want them. I don't know why you're doing this to me, but you can have them. I trust you. You've given me every reason in the world to rest in your sovereignty. So I will relax under the trust I have in your character. And he stops him. And what's so fascinating is that the Lord doesn't take Isaac, but he already took Isaac. He did get Isaac. In the sense of from Abraham, he was granted Isaac from Abraham. Abraham, this is as good as done. And what's so fascinating is that as soon as the Lord, as soon as Abraham gave him up, God let him enjoy his son. Isn't that just like God? I I, want to test your faith. I want to grow you. I want to see you stretched. I want to see this happen. And I want to see that there's no other gods before me. And as soon as Abraham expresses that and moves that and works that out, okay, now I'm going to give back your son. As long as you know who God is, who your God is, Abraham. Don't ever mix up the gift and the giver. We worship the giver, not the gift. Isn't it so easy for the gift to snatch us away and we forget who gave it to us? Well, immediately after that, Abraham turns around and sees a ram that's caught in a thicket. If you look down at verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now, really quick, if you're visiting, and this is like the one Sunday you're going to be with us this morning, um, let me just say, this message may drive you crazy because the whole time you're going to be going, this is a picture of Christ, this is a picture of Christ, this is a picture of Christ. Just put your mind at ease. I know. Um, I'm going to touch on on typology and Christ in this passage next week. So if you had plans of leaving town this week, change them and come back. Um, Because I want to spend some time digging deep on typology and seeing Christ in this passage. It's too Christologically rich to um, move too quickly. So I'll be coming back to this passage next, next Sunday. 
So here's this ram caught in the thicket, and he immediately goes and takes the ram. Notice the ram's caught by his horns. He's not by, caught by his leg or his side. He's not bleeding. There's no defect of this animal. And so he goes, he takes this animal, slaughters the animal, and gives it to the Lord immediately as a sacrifice, as a, as a, a public telling. This animal, Lord, is your provision, and I want to give it back to you. It's from your hand into my hand, back to your hand. It's all from the Lord. Please notice the one who tests Abraham and calls Abraham to this is also the one who provides for Abraham. The tester is the provider. And so come and give me your son, your only son. He offers the son. The Lord says, stop, don't take the son's life now that I see that, he's all, that you have given him up. And here is a substitute in place of your son. And the immediate response from Abraham is, then I'm going to give it back to you. I want to, I want to give this back as a, as a symbol, as a, as, a, as a picture to you, Lord, that it is all yours. Everything is yours. Now, think about it, guys. Wouldn't it be a little bit interesting if he gave the ram and Abraham's first impulse was, all oh, right, you know, we can eat that and sell some of the meat. And No, 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 no. This man knows exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to lay the life of this animal down before Almighty God. There's nothing that Abraham wants in place of his God. Guys, I'll hit that note numerous times in this message, but it is just freshly astounding to me just what can take God's place in our, in our lives. It's disturbing at times. What could rob God of his rightful place in our heart is the one we worship, the one who we want to show. And you can look at your, your finances, your calendar, your, your whatever, the different pieces of your life. And what, what can take your heart away from the Lord is astounding. That's why... Years ago, John Calvin said that the heart of man is an idol-producing factory. Happens so easy. And so Abraham takes this animal and sacrifices this animal. I can't help but think of the joy in this guy's heart because he's cutting up this animal right beside his son Isaac. I get to keep him. I get to keep Isaac. He's with me. And, all right, come on, son. You know, God has provided. I just can't imagine the exhilaration in the heart of this father who has now been, God has provided. God let him keep his boy. This is magnificent. Not only has God tested my faith, my faith has grown, but now I have the joy of my son. I have the joy of honoring God and worshiping God in this sacrifice. What a splendid moment in this weird path that we've been watching Abraham walk. Ups and downs, struggles, lies, growth, all these different bits and pieces, just like our lives. And yet this sweet moment of that sacrifice made in the presence of his son. Think about the impact on the boy. I don't know about you, but my dad taught me a lot of things without ever saying words. I have no doubt that Abraham said words and taught Isaac here, but... Just seeing the joy in his father's heart, seeing the growth in his faith, must have deeply impacted his son. 
And so they sacrifice this animal before the living God. Probably the happiest sacrifice Abraham had ever made. Please notice, beloved, that it was God who required. God who stopped Abraham and God who provided for himself. God provided for himself. Now, I think it's very self-evident just how how gospel-centered that concept is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Almighty God is the one who provided the sacrifice of his son in our stead. God satisfied God in our place because no one else could satisfy God. You cannot satisfy the living God by your good works. And let me just say why. You don't have any. You don't have any good works. That's why it's so interesting when folks say, well, my good works will outweigh my bad works. And I'm saying, all right, what are your good works? (laughs) You have none. Your your righteous deeds are as filthy rags. You are in sin. You cannot please God apart from faith. There's so much Bible over and over and over again that states, if you are outside of Christ, you have nothing to bring to God. You have nothing to bring Him if you're outside of Christ. And it's a fool's errand to try to convince yourself or us or most importantly to try to convince God that I've done some good things, God, that you should be pleased by. Almighty God has provided for himself the means by which we are saved. And the world is so lost to the point that they get upset that we believe there's one way to be saved. Beloved, the longer I'm a believer, the more I can't believe there's a way to be saved. I'm not upset because there's not options. I'm simply amazed that the living God pursued me by the sending of His Son. Talk about amazing grace. So Abraham laid this animal down and gave him up. Deep faith in the Lord, please catch this point. Deep faith in the Lord typically comes through trusting Him through pain. Deep faith in the Lord typically comes through trusting Him in pain, or in the pain, or in painful trials. Abraham gained a growth in his faith as a follower of the Lord through this circumstance in a way that he could never have grown. There's something particular to this pain. The Lord knows us, guys. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and the Lord will bring particular things into our lives to stretch us. There are things that are difficult for you that aren't for me. There's things that are difficult for me that aren't for you. And our our God, our Father, knows us to, to such precision that he will bring things into our lives to specifically grow us in our faith and in our trust in him. And throughout all those years of Abraham waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then those those wrinkled old hands actually picking that baby up to his chest and looking at the promise of God, and God says, I want him. 
Guys, I'm convinced that the Lord at times will wound you for your good. I think the Lord at times will bring things into our lives that are painful for our good and his glory, ultimately. That's not a popular message. The world scoffs at that message. A lot of Christians scoff at that message. But I could show you passage after passage where the Lord brought difficulty in the life of his people for their good and for his glory. And so Abraham was stretched in a way that I would never want to be. I don't pray for that. I don't pray for, Lord, bring terrible stuff into my life in order that I might grow in my faith. I don't pray that prayer. Do I want my faith to grow? Yes, but be careful what you pray for. Because pain often is what he uses to mature us. Trusting him when everything is a piece of cake is usually a little bit easier. But when you can't see around the corner and you're scared to death of what's happening, you don't know why it's happening, in those moments, you study the word, you are reminded of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're reminded of the promises of the living God, and you feel a strength and stability, even in the midst of uncertainty and fear, then you get around the corner and you go, wow, he was faithful the entire time. I was the one that was shaking. He wasn't shaking. He wasn't uncertain. I was the uncertain one. Back to the text. So Abraham called, uh, verse 13, he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Jehovah Jireh, this concept of the Lord is the one who grants the provision. The Lord's the one who meets you there with the provision. Guys, I'm going to touch on this next week, but I can't help but just at least land on that very important idea because it's the centerpiece of your Bible, that it is Almighty God who does the providing. This is what makes Christianity so different from other religions. In other religions, you do what needs to be done to make the God happy of that religion. In Christianity, it is Almighty God who pleases Almighty God in your stead. It is God who suffers for us to rescue us. It is God who who pursues us. That is the centerpiece of the gospel, that it it is the sovereign of the universe in his love and wisdom, pursuing a people and accomplishing perfectly his task of rescuing a people for his glory. The Lord will provide. You can can take that concept, just that phrase, take that concept and just track it through the rest of your Bible. If you ask the question, where does God provide? Go back to Genesis. Out of nothing, the Lord calls it into existence. Everything is given to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve fail. And the Lord doesn't come to them after they fall and say, Now, I need you to get better. So, get better. Now, he shows up and he gives a promise that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The Lord takes the life of an animal and wraps a skin around them in their nakedness. And from then on, we will consistently, through the rest of Scripture, see the Lord provides. 
The Lord provides. The Lord provides. Beloved, I'm convinced the new heavens and new earth and the glory of all of that, we will be there going, all of this exists because the Lord provides. Is all God's provision for us. That's why that statement, the Lord helps those who help themselves, you know who, who originated that. I don't either, but it's dumb. So <clears throat> it's totally unbiblical, rotten to the core. It has nothing to do with the scripture. The scripture does not say, make yourself a little cleaner so God will clean you the rest of the way. That's just absolute heresy and a denial of the gospel. What the scripture says is, you will be washed, you will be made clean, you will be atoned for by the perfection of the atonement provided by God in your stead. You track it through your entire Bible. Page after page after page, you will see the Lord provides. It's the Lord who provides. So, what an awesome, what an awesome dubbing of that, of that hill as a monument. Number, number 15, trying to move here a little quicker. Um, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time. Please notice the angel of the Lord, not necessarily an angel of the Lord. I believe this is a reference to a pre-incarnate Christ. We can debate that if you disagree with me, and that's fine. But the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. Very fascinating and I can't go in too much in depth, but just so fascinating to me, God says, I swear to you, I promise you, but not by any man, not even between you and I, Abraham, I swear, and who could I call to bear witness to this? Myself. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord. There's no one greater I can swear by as I declare this promise that I am putting upon you Abraham. This is an oath from Almighty God. I think we miss that every now and again just because we can get used to theology, we get used to churchiness and all of these different things. But beloved, let me just remind you, that phrase Almighty God means there's nobody else more mighty than him. Now, duh. But let me say it again. There is nobody more mighty than him. God does not ask permission of anyone. Nobody corrects God. God checks in with nobody. God is the one who is sovereign over all things. He is almighty, king of kings, lord of lords. We have such a man-centered perspective on so much theology in our world rather than a a theocentric, a God-centered theology where we see, no, he, it's about him. He's the centerpiece of what we believe and who we are. Almighty God does not check in with anybody. That's what we mean by sovereignty. And so when it says, I declare this, I swear this oath by myself, it's as good as done. The Lord's not guessing. The Lord's not saying, I hope this comes about. He's saying, Abraham, done. These promises I lay in front of you, done. Have you ever broken a promise? I'm sure you have. I have too, where you say, no, 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 I promise. Or yeah, I, I, as good as I can, I will be there. I will be there. Then you let somebody down. You go, well, you're a promise breaker. I am. 
I'm not sovereign over all things. I'm not in charge of all things. I'm not omniscient. I have none of that. But when you come to God and you see the promises made by God, beloved, good is done. So this is not wishful thinking or the Lord shooting for hope. This is him telling Abraham, Abraham, I swear by myself, this promise is made to you. Now, there's kind of a reiteration of the promises that he's already been making up to this point. This is what's so beautiful about the relationship with Abraham and God, is that it's progressive. The lens is growing. Abraham is seeing God in far, far greater width of the lens that he has been this whole time. And now again, the Lord has re, is reiterating, restating the promises that he's going to lay on him. Look down at your Bible, verse 17. He says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. In light of this, of what's happened with Abraham, God will bless Abraham. This is God's approval, affirmation, promise of his love on Abraham. He'll multiply Abraham's offspring. Now, all he's got is Isaac at this point, so to hear that promise is amazing. And you go, well, to what extent? As the stars in the heaven and as the sand on the shore. How much of his grasp of, did he have of that at the time? How many stars? I don't, I don't know. We know now, at this point in history, that good luck counting. It's innumerable. Your offspring shall possess the enemy's gates. In other words, you will continually have victory. Nations will be blessed through Abraham's offspring. Abraham, your offspring will bless every single nation. Just as he said back in chapter 12, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through your offspring. Rich blessing flows from an unflinching obedience to God in following his word. One more time. Rich blessing flows from an unflinching obedience to God in following his word. Now, will it look like rich blessing to the world? Most likely, no. Probably never. But we're worried about what the Lord considers rich blessing, not what the world considers rich blessing. And I promise you, the more you walk unflinchingly in obedience to the word of God, beloved, the more you will be richly blessed from the Lord. How richly blessed? I just encourage you to, um, Dawn's been covering Ephesians chapter 1. Read through that chapter and ask the question, what is mine in Christ? You will be richly blessed. Now, really quick, because i got to move on this one. These promises that are fulfilled are fulfilled in three ways. Number one, you see these fulfillments in part in his physical offspring, in the Jewish people. Number two, you see this, these promises fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to sit down with Galatians 3, Galatians 4, and read what the Apostle Paul has to say about the seed singular of Abraham. This very text is promised here that every nation will be blessed through the seed of Abraham, and 
The New Testament apostle, the New Testament inspired interpreter of the Old Testament, tells us it says seed on purpose, offspring on purpose, and he points to the singularity of that, meaning this is about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, beloved, back here in Genesis chapter 22, we see God promising the incredible glory of what's going to happen with the gospel. The seed of Abraham, Christ, will bless every nation. How do I know? Because in Revelation, we hear that there are people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation in his kingdom through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is so expansive. I, I just can't even touch on how massively expansive this is, what he's promising here. As little boys and girls at VBS... Come to Christ. Truly come to the Lord Jesus. The seed of Abraham just blessed that family. Bless that nation. As somebody goes, no, Allah is not God. Jesus Christ is God. And I declare it with all my heart, even if I lose my family or my head, Abraham has another seed or another promise fulfilled. And throughout human history, as the Lord Jesus Christ builds his church, we are seeing the seed of Abraham mature and grow, Jews and Gentiles alike. But also, we see this in the Jewish people, we see this in Christ, and we see this in all believers. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 says that if you are in Christ, you are in Abraham. He's the father of the faithful. Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them. I remember singing that and, and not really knowing what, the, what on earth that meant as a little boy. It was just, you know, it's the fun one where you get to swing your arms and legs and turn around. This is what's so beautiful about being in church life your whole life is hearing those little silly songs and then you grow up and you see the astounding theology that I was singing as a five-year-old. Abraham does have many sons. I am one of them. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's also fascinating that it says that they will have their enemies' gates. Well, we were told that the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. The seed of Abraham is going to crush every enemy under his feet. So Christological, so rich in Jesus. To be continued, we'll come to that next week. But you just consider the joy of Abraham and Isaac. I don't fully grasp what all Abraham understood in these promises, how far his understanding went in reference to these promises. But now that I have all 66 books of the inspired and errant word of God, I am amazed at what was being promised to Abraham on that mount. Simply amazed. So let me, let me wrap up here and come to the Lord's table. When deeply considered, and I mean this with all my heart, pause, stop, think about it. When deeply considered, we truly have ample reason to walk in obedience to the word of God. We have the Word of God. We have the history of what God has done. We have the example and the testimony of other believers in our lives. And we have our own experience with Him. 
If you were to sit down, beloved, and, and write down on a piece of paper, why do I trust God in times of difficulty? And just, just make a list. Carry that list in your Bible. Go back to the list. Contemplate it. Add to the list. Why do I trust him? What, what confidence do I have in this God? I am convinced, beloved, that oftentimes when we find ourselves in fear, questioning, and, and anxiety, and worry, is because we are not thinking. We, we officially stopped thinking. Because I will say this from experience, but also I see it in the Word, and I hear it in the testimony of other believers. The more I stop and contemplate every reason I have to trust in God, it wipes away my fear and worry and fills that void with trust and rest. At times it's one of the elders or my wife, somebody who throws a scripture in my way or a reminder of God's faithfulness in my past, and it just it wipes away my fear and, and being scared. But it takes time to stop and contemplate what God has done, that we can rest in that. I gotta tell you, there are times I have seen believers, some in this room, receive extremely scary news and watch them stabilized. Just stabilized in the middle of that moment because their theology, their understanding, and their God rushed to their rescue and brought them a complete calm. And I will tell you, the world, I watch the world receive bad news. I see that a lot. They don't have that. They don't have that. And so my, my challenge is perhaps we need to afresh be reminded, God, why am I walking in obedience to you? Not because we don't think we should, but a fresh foundation laid underneath periodically is vital to us as believers. God, why am I trusting you? Because from all appearances, I am the biggest fool in the world. I look ridiculous to my friends. Nobody understands why I would live this way. Why would I devote my life to this? Why would I talk like this? God, why would I do that? And then all you have to do is think deeply and consider every reason. As you do that, solid as a rock. Absolutely solid as a rock. Let me pray and invite um, Roger and Mitch and John, if you would come up and help us serve communion, brother. Let me, let me pray. Lord, I have no doubt that because you love us, 